Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 42. This week, we talked to John Daniel Trask about how to track exceptions in your application with Raygun, the modern version of Office, the Azure Cloud Platform Roadmap, and a Raspberry Pi 2 running Windows 10. Hey, Carl, we got a great guest this week. We have John Daniel Trask, co-founder and CEO of Raygun. Uh, He's also Microsoft MVP in ASP.NET, winner of the New Zealand High Tech Young Achiever Award. Welcome, John Daniel. How's it going? It's going very well. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Yeah, no problem. Uh, The bits are coming, you know, halfway around the world, but they seem to be moving pretty quickly today. So (laughs) you sound good. That's good. (laughs) Okay, so let's jump into feedback real quick. So we got... uh, uh, we got a couple of retweets this week. Uh, we got one from uh, Vernon E.L. Smith, uh, Vernon E.L. on Twitter. And we also got one from uh, John Potasic, and they had uh, retweeted uh, specific episodes. So we always appreciate that. Anything that uh, anybody can do to help spread the show, we always appreciate it. Um, that's what keeps the show going is just getting it out there and uh, so that everybody listens to it. Uh, if you want to get mentioned on the show, send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com or comment on one of our many areas such as Facebook, iTunes, or Stitcher. And we especially love those iTunes reviews. Uh, you know, leave us five-star review and leave us a message. Uh, we love those. Uh, so Carl, how are your monitors working? Well, um, for a long time, my monitors have not been going into power saving mode and it, okay. it, it's been really frustrating. And I kind of dug in, I, I've had a little bit of time off to investigate it. And, uh, it found, I found out that Chrome was preventing my computer from sleeping. <laughs> nice. Um, it, it, so, so were the monitors like going to black or no, they, they would just stay on all day. Oh, they just stay on. They just stay on. And what, what killed me is, you know, I, I know you're somebody who likes power efficiency and you like, you know, turning things off whenever you can. I mean, we worked at, yep. at a company that specialized in doing that, turning things off whenever it made sense. And this was just frustrating me. Uh, so I kind of dug in and did some research and found out this is a known bug in Chrome. So Chrome will disable whatever power settings lets your monitors turn off. Really? Um, That's crazy. And uh, one of the ways I had realized it is my computer turned on one day and I didn't, you know, I hadn't, you know, I rebooted it and I hadn't done anything. Mm-hmm. And eventually the screens turned off. I'm like, that hasn't done that in months. Let me check out why. So I, I have a, a, a monitor app that'll just turn off your monitors immediately and that hadn't been working either. And I knew it wasn't my code. So I was able to run that and it turned my monitors off just fine. So one by one, I turned on other normal applications and it was Chrome. So, oh, so you were able to test it that way. I was wondering how you got, how you figured this out. Yep. And then eventually once I confirmed that it was Chrome, I was able to do some Google searching and in the show notes, there'll be a link, but there's a, uh, there's a Google Chrome, uh, uh, Chromium issue and, uh, explains in great detail what it is and the fact that they're not fixing it. Okay. So if it, not fixing it, yeah. So if, <laughs> if anybody else is noticing that their uh, monitors aren't going to sleep and they're using Chrome, uh, that's probably why. I, so it, it doesn't affect everybody, right? Because mine, mine seems to work fine. Yeah, it, it's not an entire hundred percent people, but there is a very large percentage of people that this is affecting. Okay. So it, as a result, I've stopped using Chrome. Okay. Yeah, my monitors like light up my entire office, so it's pretty obvious when they stay on. Uh, so I have it so that the the computer. Uh, yeah, it turns them off after a certain amount of time to save power, which is which is really nice because all people come over and they'll try to turn off my monitors. I'm like, no, 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 they'll turn off on their own. Um, that way, I don't even have to to think about it. But uh, very interesting. I'll have to watch out for this to see if it if it manifests itself at some point. <laughs> uh, okay, so what else we got? We got the Office, uh, the Touch version for Windows. Have you played with this yet, Carl? No, I haven't played with it, and okay. I kind of 
you know, I've heard a lot about it and it's never really seemed something that I'd be too terribly interested in. Um, it's office. And to me, you know, <laughs> you know, it, you know it, do you use, you use office much though? You know, I, I, I use it occasionally, but not a lot of okay. my work is in there. I mean, I'm a developer. Um, yeah. You know, I, I stick within the developer tools, a lot of visual studio, a lot of notepad plus plus or, you know, sublime, something like that. But I, yeah. I, I don't do a whole lot of document creation. Um, I mean, I, I do a bit with PowerPoint and when I do um, speak at conferences and users groups and stuff like that, but even that I don't use any, anything insane. So for okay. me, if I just get a minimal stuff, it, I, I mean, I'm one of those teachers, you know, they always say people only use like 10% of word. I'm like, I probably use like half of a percent of word. <laughs> nice, John Daniel, are you running uh, windows 10 or not? I'm running uh, Windows 10 technical preview at home uh, on okay. this machine. I'm doing the call on, so it's good awesome. it stayed working. Um, I found <laughs> it, I found it pretty pretty solid to be honest. I haven't had too yeah. many problems, which has been great. I, I've seen a few people having issues with it uh, on some of the tablets, but I'm running on a full yeah. PC, so that's good. Cutting back to the office thing, though, um, I don't I don't have a uh, a non iOS tablet. But I use Office a lot because while mm-hmm. I have a developer background, I, I run the company now and I actually write very little code while I'm at work. Um, but what I find actually more interesting is reading about Office Touch for Windows is that uh, they're saying it's better than the iOS one and people were saying the iOS version yeah. was pretty good. You're kind of seeing this much faster rapid iteration of, of Office in general because it's like I'm sitting here as a desktop power user of Office thinking – cool, well, when's the next version of that going to drop for the actual PC? And right. it's going to roll up all of the good new improvements in that, and then they'll probably go back and update the iOS version. And then, the, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. It's a, it's a faster cadence than we're used to seeing out of Microsoft, mm-hmm. which is which is always always great to see. Yeah, I, I used it a little bit. I used uh, Excel. I tried out Word. Um, I actually gave, I had a, a presentation for my team. And since it was an internal presentation, I said, oh, what the heck, I'll use PowerPoint for it. And, uh, I don't, it worked perfect for everything. The, uh, pretty much, you know, any documents I have or anything like that, every, all the features I use were in there. Uh, PowerPoint, the only kind of goofy thing was that I think it's a limitation around the modern apps. Whenever you, uh, put it in presenter mode, it really doesn't have the capability of like taking over a second screen. So it ended up opening like a presenter window, like behind the main window. And it took me a while to figure that out. And then I drug it over the other window and maximized it. So that was a little bit of a, a pain point, but those are the types of things that'll end up driving change for modern apps within Windows 10. Yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely loving how uh, modern apps are handled in, in Windows 10 versus the 8.1 yeah. Metro sort of thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, being able to run it window is killer. And actually, the best part about these apps that I I think is is just the deployment. You know how how you actually get them. I mean, I was I was at an airport on on crummy airport Wi-Fi. And it was five minutes before my flight and I read about it. I'm like, ah, should I, shouldn't I? And I ended up waiting and then, and I'm like, oh, okay, I'll grab them before I get on the plane. So I started the download and all three of them, you know, it was like, I think one was like 80 megs. One was 90, one was like 130 and the bar went up and, and I was actually able to download them and they were, that was it, you know, office. I don't know how many people remember like 10 years ago was, was a horrific install and now it's actually pretty fast, but the modern apps just make that just, uh, you know, completely uh, painless. And uh, whenever you set up a new computer, if that's in your list of apps now, it'll just pull that down. So that's one of the big advantages. As long as they keep the guy that writes the installer for SQL Server away from everything else, we should be fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> no comment. Okay. You're not that guy, are you, Jason? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no, there probably is no guy. That's the problem. No. Uh, okay. Cloud platform roadmap. This was pretty cool because uh, I'm a big Azure guy. Uh, so this is... Let's see here. Let me pull it up. So what this is, it's for Azure. And, and what it shows is, is basically recently um, recently available features. And then it also shows things that are in preview and things that are in development as it relates to Azure. And then also even things that were canceled, which I think is uh, a little daring, but it's nice having the, the transparency. But being able to go out here and, and see some of the things that, that are on the on the roadmap is is pretty cool. Any kind of transparency like this, I think, is great. Um, being able to know what's going on and get, you know, like sort of rough timelines. Let me check in here. So I'm going to go look like public preview right now. Let me just pull this up. Uh, let's see Azure operational insights, role-based ba- role access control, things like that. Let's see what's in development. I think it gives the schedules in here, like console output from Linux virtual machines. Okay. I guess there's no specific timeline in here, but anything that's in here, you figure is on the, a fairly, you know, a roadmap uh, in the not too distant future. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, the next one. I'll oh, go ahead, John Daniel. Uh, I was just going to say it is really cool because um, we use uh, Amazon Web Services a lot. Okay. Primarily just because uh, we were on there before uh, Azure really came to be, and so we've stayed there. Um, but you know, th- this gives a lot of clarity about some of those additional things that are coming to to power. It seems like Amazon just keep dropping all these things, and it's actually quite confusing uh, trying to yeah. understand everything that's going on. This is a really clear roadmap. They've done a great great bit of design on it too. Yeah, AWS they they don't do the best job with uh, with naming. Um, they always like to use like three letter acronyms, and it's a little confusing. Yeah, one day it'd be cool if they hired a designer too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So actually I've been, I've been talking to somebody that's new on my team. He came over from uh, Amazon and I'm hoping to line up a, a future episode where we, we uh, sort of line up a lot of the different AWS and Azure features and do a side-by-side comparison. Mm-hmm. So I would, uh, I would watch for that. Okay. Let's see here. Uh, date and time formatting for humans. Did you look at this one, Carl? Yeah. And, and in fact, uh, I was talking with Brandon Martinez about this before you sent this over to me and, mm-hmm. um, this is just something that it, w- it would make total sense to have and to implement. Um, basically what this is, is right now, if you want to like to format a date, you have to know like all the arcane codes, like, you know, percent S percent DD, you know, whatever they are. And I don't remember what they are and I have to look them up well, every time. And, and the worst part is MM versus, and, you know, capital MM. Yeah. And you know, the thing that makes sense is if I could just give an example of what I want and it should figure out what, to format my data as that's essentially what this is. So they have, you know, you know, format like, and then just put Jan dot 26 comma 2015. And then if it's, you know, daytime dot now or whatever is what you're trying to get, it'll put for today's date, Feb dot nine comma 2015. I mean, that's what, that's what it should give out. And, um, I, there's a little bit of ambiguity sometimes with these, and that's why there are those, you know, those weird codes that make no sense to anybody, but mm-hmm. a lot of times you should be able to figure out exactly what that code is with a good example. Yeah. This is just genius. I, I'm actually kind of, I don't know. I'm sort of like angry that nobody thought of this before. Maybe, maybe I, you know, I don't know if people thought of this, but didn't say anything. Um, it's just crazy that it took this long for, for something so simple and so useful to come out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't, I don't know. It's just like, what is this, uh, it's interesting that, that, that most people just, you know, we all just sort of dealt with that problem and nobody tried to fix it. Um, so I applaud, uh, 
I applaud them for uh, for coming out with this library and and solving this problem. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and, and the library that they reference specifically is a Ruby library. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I I took a glance at it, and it should be fairly trivial for somebody to do it. I was just trying to see if somebody else had already done it before I went ahead and did it. Yeah, yeah. Do they have something like this for uh, for .NET? Uh, I didn't do a whole lot of searching, but I couldn't find anything using a quit quick search. Okay. Yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, okay, let's see here. Uh, HP Stream 7 Signature Edition tablet uh, drops to 79 bucks at the Microsoft Store. I just had to mention this because this is this just is mind blowing to me. Um, it's it's like for the price of those like super cheap Android tablets that you see at the store, you can actually buy a decent tablet. <laughs> uh, so 79 bucks. This thing is plus you get a twenty five dollar uh, gift card yeah. and a year of Office 365, I believe, too. Yeah, which is which is worth sixty nine bucks by itself. Uh, I actually had somebody ask me if that came with the code, and I'm not sure. I suspect it just comes with the code, and you could activate Office on a different machine if you wanted to, um, which is pretty incredible. So if you were going to go out and spend seventy bucks on a copy of Office, buy this instead for an extra ten dollars, get a tablet plus Office plus a plus a Windows Store gift card. And I mean, these are these are decent machines now because they, you know, this isn't like your your old school Atom processor that had terrible performance. This is the new, um, I think this is Bay trail. It's gotta be Bay trail or, or above. So, you know, it's a full, uh, processor that, um, a full X86 or X64 processor that can just, it can run anything. I mean, you can run visual studio on this. It's probably well, not the, you're not going to experience. You're not going yeah. to, I mean, it would be painful. I mean, it's only got a yeah. gig of memory, but I mean, for a lot of the modern apps and, you know, the light, um, know stuff that you're going to be using this for i mean it is you know yep. a, a smaller display you you only really need the processing power you don't need that you know a whole lot of memory for that so i think for yep. for your light you know web browsing you know you know kind of tasks like that gaming stuff like that this would be a great thing something yep. it's a no-brainer to give to a kid yeah yeah exactly this is this is perfect for your kids whenever i uh whenever i bought my van uh that would have been i guess seven years ago now uh, the dual screen video system uh, was an $1,800 option. I didn't go for that. I thought that was ridiculous because even at the time I could have bought, um, uh, well, not too, I, I, I could have bought iPads. I don't, I don't think, I guess iPads weren't um, out at that time, but shortly after that, I could have just bought iPads and that was kind of my thinking, but this is great for in a vehicle. I mean, you could strap one of these to each head headrest and be done. Well, um, the, the, the other thing that's interesting to note about is, mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw the new Raspberry Pi 2 came out the other yep. day. Yep. So this is 40 bucks more than a Raspberry Pi 2, you know, and it's, yeah. <laughs> it's a whole Windows machine. With yeah, a, with a screen know, great, and, yeah, casing and, and, and everything. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, actually, that, I didn't even think that. That's a really good, uh, that's a good comparison. We didn't have that one in your car. We didn't even have that news story, did we? No. Yeah, we should we should talk about that one. Actually, right before we talk about Raspberry Pi, one one more thing on this. I wanted to get your your feedback on this, Carl and uh, John Daniel. So, I you know my 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 local uh, my the kid the school that my kids go to, they basically have no computer lab anymore, and I'm trying to figure out a solution for them, and they're trying to get some PCs donated. Um, one thing, whenever I saw how cheap this thing was, I guess one question I had was if you hook up a you know like a VGA adapter to this thing. I mean, they already have the monitors, they have the mice and the, and the keyboards. Um, would this thing actually be a, sort of a poor man's computer lab? You know, thoughts ex- on that? I think it'd be an exceptionally poor man's piece, uh, computer yeah. lab. But uh, <laughs> yeah. I think, 
I mean, it's it, it would be better than nothing, though, wouldn't it? I mean, yeah. That's the thing. But even at that price, is it a case where you don't need the computer lab, but you just gave one to every kid? I mean, yeah, I'm thinking. They, I mean, they need a like a mouse and a keyboard because I want to. I want to teach them. I want to go in and teach programming. Um, and I think that this would be good for it. I think external monitor would probably be a good idea. Um, I guess you know they probably have good eyes, so staring at the <laughs> screen probably wouldn't be the the worst thing in the world. Uh, yep. So you didn't you at least need to have like a, a USB hub. And uh, and then hook up the mouse and keyboard to it. Certainly, be an economic way of doing it. Uh, yeah, did, I, they, I just, did they used to have a computer lab? Have yeah, they, they did. Yeah, well, they so they still do. But the computers are from I think two thousand and two, and they have XP oh. on them, and they are oh. they are just they are just they are basically unusable. Right, right. That's yeah. a bit sad. Yeah, and they have no money, so they <laughs> so they're trying to figure out what to do. And like I said, they might get some computers donated, but. If that doesn't happen, I was looking at this. I mean, they only need 10 or 12 computers. You get 10 of these. I mean, you could outfit a thousand bucks. You could outfit the entire computer lab. <laughs> that, that's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, I, I don't, I think it would work. I mean, for what they run, I mean, the, the, the most hardcore application they need to run would be office. Well, any way you cut it, it's going to be better than a computer from 2002. So. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's just a thought of mine. Uh, there's not a lot of space on this thing. It, it must be what? Um, does it even say how much space there is? Yes, it did. Um, uh, 32 thir- gig. Yes. Oh, 32 gig? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, it's pretty tight, but, you know, I don't think they need much on there. Mm. Well, anyway, uh, I will actually, if anybody wants to send me feedback on that, maybe somebody's done that before or has an idea on that, I'd love to hear it. See if uh, see if there's a way to make that work. So let's talk about the Raspberry Pi 2. Uh, so this is pretty cool. It's uh, on the order of about six times faster than the first Raspberry Pi. And the big announcement, in my opinion, uh, is that it, it will, it's been announced that it will run a, uh, a variant of Windows 10, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and I, I think the Microsoft have come out saying that Windows 10 will be free for the Raspberry Pi yep. 2 as well. So yep. that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this has actually been uh, pretty popular. It kind of blew up in the news. Uh, so this will be this will be interesting. I think it'll be a really interesting IoT option for a lot of people. You know, if not something yeah. that you you run a lot of stuff on. You know, really great for making a proof of concept, pushing it out. You know, a great dev device. Yep. And then, um, yeah. have you guys heard of the interesting flaw found in the Raspberry Pi two already? No, um, I, I have heard about it. <laughs> yes, if if you take a picture of a running Raspberry Pi two with a bright enough flash or pointing the laser pointer pointer at it, it will immediately shut down. Really? There's something about that that extreme light sensitivity just, you know, makes it reboot immediately. That is really interesting. So, so I have a, uh, so I speaking of mysteries, I have a mystery for you too. I, I think I showed this to you, Carl. So I have a room in my house where um there's the there's a t, you know, there's a TV in that room and whenever you turn the lights on or off, the TV flashes off for a second. Hmm. Explain that. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> yeah. You have to show me next time I'm over. Yeah, it's really weird. It's it's almost like like a burst of like uh, EM interference or something. Uh, okay. Uh, anything else you want to say about that, Carl? No. Okay. So I guess stay tuned on all the cool stuff that'll come out uh, with that. Uh, okay. So let's get into it with John Daniel. Okay. So John Daniel, you wanted to talk about Raygun. So tell us. Let's start with uh, talking about what Raygun is exactly. Sure. Uh, so Raygun is a, a crash reporting and notification platform that supports uh, pretty much every single programming language that's in, in use today. So 
developers can think about it in terms of being able to put a small library into your app, whether it's you know Ruby on Rails, Python, .NET, whatever. It takes about five minutes to do that. And we will send all of the diagnostic information about problems that occur uh, off to us. We do some intelligent grouping around the errors and problems that we see. And we sort of uh, alert users in real time about the problems that we've been seeing. Um, that's the, the sort of the very quick run through. There's a lot of smarts in there to try and make it so it's manageable for big teams um, as well as sort of indie developers. And we have a whole range of uh, customers varying in those sizes from sort of the Fortune 10 companies down to somebody building their first mobile app, hoping to make their millions on the app store. Uh, so that's that's what it does. Okay, very cool. So what, why are these diagnostics important? I mean, you know, what, what do we get out of them and what services do you provide to make them more useful to developers and in, in companies? Yeah, so I mean, uh, to, the, to the developer themselves, I mean, you, you'll be intimately aware that uh, it's a it's a real pain when somebody gets in touch and says, "Hey, you know your software broke," and nine times out of ten, you'll get a JPEG pasted inside of a Word document. You know, <laughs> we've all we've all been there. Yep. I, I've done of- it too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you did say use office so <laughs> but um yeah that that's not terribly helpful and there's been a lot of studies done on the cost of resolving bugs based on where in the development life cycle you are and once something's in production it's extremely costly to fix and most of that goes down to trying to find the blimmin bug in the first place so first of all for a developer we'll uh, we'll give you enough diagnostic information that you can jump right in see what was going on uh, and resolve the bug quite quickly. Secondly, what we found, because we instrumented our other products with Raygun very early on, and we, we very quickly formulated a, a metric, which was that only about 1% of your user base will ever tell you that something went wrong. So where this causes major problems is obviously everybody's trying to get more customers and things like that. And if you start thinking, well, actually, if I times every every bug report by 100 and thought, that's how many people are uh, having a lousy time with my software that I'm not converting. That's actually a lot of wasted marketing budget. You know, oh, yeah. you, you guys talked a little bit earlier about uh, getting feedback on the show. Yeah, you know, I was just I was just thinking about that. Yeah, feedback about your software and how it's running out in the field is super important. Uh, you know, because it's the only way you can improve. You really are flying blind, and there's there's only so much you can do with, say, unit tests and building out QA teams. And, and that's all great. But it, if you're a small team, for example, you're not likely to have a team of you know, 10 or 20 QAs uh, you know, testing your software. Mm-hmm. So you, you do kind of need a bit of a safety net. So it, it sort of helps people in a lot of different ways. Um, we have – I know we have one customer that um, – you know, they're a very, very large e-commerce player. If they, if they had – you know, a small error occurring in their checkout flow, it potentially costs them, you know, up to a million or two dollars a day, you know, mm-hmm. in lost sales. So it can become super material to people to understand those those flaws. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. So what about during the the dev test cycle? Because we always talk about production and obviously, you know, once the once the app gets out there, you want to know what's going on in the real world. And that's that's I would argue that that is just as valuable. But when I'm actually developing the application too, and I, I run my application, I'm sort of blind to you know what's going on internally. So, do you see a lot of dev test usage, or is it sort of you know send it out there and use this in production? Production is where the highest value is certainly right. seen. Um, however, 
it's it, we also see a lot of usage within staging environments and again that's partly just because getting onto the staging server especially in larger companies can be quite hard to try and dredge logs and things like that uh, so you you can improve your productivity by simply being able to you know log into Raygun and see the errors that occurred on your staging environment um, okay so does that, it segregate those somehow yeah yeah absolutely okay. you can Excellent. you can track them all separately which a lot of our customers do. Um, it, uh, you know, it's not super valuable when you're in dev because often you've actually got a debugger attached anyway. And if something blew up on your local machine, you're taken straight in there and, and can sort of look at everything. So, uh, but staging certainly and production, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, I just wanted to kind of take a step back here. I mean, I, I'm kind of getting hung up on your website here. When you when you talked about earlier that you support everything, um, it really looks like you do. I mean, I see cold <laughs> I <know>. cold fusion and <laughs> PHP and Ruby and Xamarin and Unity and Carl has determined that you are not lying. So, <laughs> no, so I, I, I guess you know you know how do you guys choose what to support, or is there anything you don't support? Yeah, so what we what we decided early on is, that, you know, we're not without competitors, uh, and a lot of the competitors that we have are very strongly focused on the Ruby on Rails space. Um, and what we wanted to do is, we believe that in this day and age, uh, almost every team is a polyglot team now. You know, you can't really build on a single language anymore. And what we saw with some of the competitors was that they would have community contributed uh, sort of support for other languages. So we've decided very early on to engage um, sort of experts on particular platforms to make sure that we support those platforms as well as we could right out of the box. So we don't really sit down and do a major cost-benefit analysis on every single platform. It's just important for us to be on every platform. Um, obviously, the first time we build something, it is based on some real demand. So uh, curiously, you cited Cold Fusion there. Cold Fusion was one of the first languages we actually supported, and that was because there was demand for it. Um, and so we we worked with a a very talented engineer that you know lives and breathes Cold Fusion and built a, a great provider for that uh, platform. Um, but if somebody came to us tomorrow and said, "Hey, I, I mean, this you know, for example, we don't have support for Rust in there at the moment," and I think Rust looks like a really cool language, but we haven't had anybody yet ask for it. But if somebody did, I'd probably jump at the opportunity to try and support it. Okay. I think that's great just because it means that if I'm doing any kind of project, I can rely on Reagan then. Yeah, absolutely. And we see extremely diverse platform support uh, from our customers uh, in, in Raygun. It's um, it's actually really quite cool to see. We get some really interesting data out of the fact that we just sort of see that an app has a primary language that it's associated with. And it, yeah, it, it's crazy. The biggest language for generating errors, by the way, is, is JavaScript. <laughs> That that guy, <laughs> really? yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> that. There's a lot of there's a lot of poorly written JavaScript out there. All right, uh, I, be I believe that. <laughs> yeah. So you know, moving on to comparing this to you know a possible competitor, how does this compare to something like Application Insights and in, that's in Azure? Yeah. So I mean, Application Insights is, is, is looks like it's shaping up to be a really cool product. Um, so for those people who don't know, I mean, that's a, it, I believe it's currently in preview, isn't it, for yes. Azure users? Yeah. So it gives you a great level of insight uh, on how your, how the, your uh, software is running on Azure. But it seems to me uh, that it's, it's got a lot of similarities to a product like New Relic. Um, and so at the moment, we don't see a lot of people sort of talking too much about application insights with us, but I think that's be because of the preview nature of it. 
But if I was to draw comparisons to the New Relic uh, environment, we find about 60% of our, our user base uses New Relic and Raygun. Um, they're, they're actually more complementary than, than competitive. Um, they'll give you great insights into the performance of your software and, and where you've got potential choke points. We see Raygun as being very action-orientated, creating a, almost like a to-do list for your software team to say, hey, here's the points of problems that you need to go and fix ideally right now, um, rather than needing to keep an eye on a graph that might be slowly trending in the right direction, things like that. So mm -hmm. they're quite complementary, I believe. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, I think that's a good comparison. And, and saying they're complementary uh, makes me want to you know give this a try in an application, even if I already have application insights in there. So that's I would, definitely I would what I'm going to do. It. Yeah, well, we see that a bunch. We, we it's not uncommon for us to see people sort of jump in, uh, run a trial of Raygun, say, "Well, we're looking at several products," and then they sort of come back at the end and say, "Yeah, well, we decided that we needed to use Raygun for the era tracking piece just because that." Like going back to what I was talking about earlier around the uh, the value to a business and using a product like this. Um, yeah, they it looks like that. there's yeah, it looks like there's almost no friction in actually integrating this too. So I mean, there's not. I don't think there's a there's a huge cost to you just you know trying this thing out. I mean, you have a you have a 30 day free trial, and then the actual integration cost. It, it looks like something that you could do in a single check in, and if you don't like it for whatever reason, which I can't imagine why, you could just roll it back. Yeah, absolutely. The most common feedback point we get was that integration was silky smooth, you know, that it yeah. took no time at all. We actually run a full suite of timings between when people actually name the application they want to track and when we receive the first bit of data from it. And we've used that as a mechanism for improving the getting started guide. Like, for example, we found that um, iOS error tracking was looking like it was taking about an hour and a half at one point to get integrated. And it was like, okay. wow, that's that's quite yeah. a lot longer than ASP.NET, which was like three minutes. Yeah. Um, so we went through and sure enough, we were like, well, you know, these instructions have become a little bit out of date. They need to be improved. We could make this a bit easier. Um, and so, you know, it, it's been really interesting seeing um, how how long different platforms take to integrate. Very cool. So I was on your on your site and I went into the features section and you have the section called uh, integrations. And I was kind of curious... Uh, like what an integration is and um and you know what they how they work basically yeah sure. I see a whole bunch of existing services here that i use yeah and so we we sort of bounce between the terminology of, a, of an integration and a plugin um we're going with the word integration these days um but it means that Raygun can connect with whatever services you're using and so i think we've got about 25 there at the moment uh so that means for example i don't know about you guys but we've started using slack at work as our team communicator. And so we can push notifications about errors that are occurring in real time into our team chat. Um, okay. We also support things like HipChat, which are other chat tools. That's a really good way for the engineering team, for example, to see that you know, you might get an error saying, oh, the, the database has become uncontactable. And you kind of go, oh, actually, we want everybody to be aware of that right away. Um, we also integrate with GitHub, Visual Studio Online uh, for issue tracking. Uh, there's also the big the big guys in the issue tracking world like uh, Jira, uh, fog bugs, things like that. Yep. And and then we also have webhooks available. So if there's any sort of platforms that you wanted to hook into that we don't yet support, you can actually write your own provider for that. So we've seen people write things like Hubot scripts um, to take the webhooks coming in. Um, and also use them for their own proprietary sort of dashboards to just say, hey, how many errors have we had today? You know, show it up on the big screen. 
Okay. So do you open you, will you actually open cases in fog bugs, for example, if there's um, issues coming in, is that basically what that integration does? We don't do it automatically yet. Okay. Um, and that's partly because uh, as you can imagine, the way that uh, errors occur can be quite bursty. Yeah. That's why I was and, asking. <laughs> yeah. So what we, what we do is we have it so that we obviously do grouping. So yeah. when you get a thousand errors, we might see that the root cause across all those thousand was actually the same three errors. So you'd only get three groups that you have to manage and we'd only notify you about the three. So when you go into one of those groups, you can choose to either create a new issue and you can do it directly within the Raygun UI. You don't have to log into Jira or anything like that. Or you can connect it to an existing issue. So, um, for example, you, you might have a, a Jira issue you already have, and this is actually some more data about that particular problem. So you can connect it, which is super useful. Yeah, I was looking at this integration pages uh, a few days ago. And once again, this is just, I mean, you guys really have a, a list of things that you've already integrated with. And it actually kind of made it hard to write questions for because all everything <laughs> everything that I wanted to know is already here. And it's... It's presented very well, but I did want to say, I just found it, you know, very interesting as I was going through this, not only were all the services that I want, you know, off the top of my head there, but I'm like, what, a, what about my own? You had those web hooks. I mean, it just seems like you've guys really put a lot of thought to the use cases that yeah. developers and companies are, are going to need to make the most of the service. Well, the product has been in market now for more than two years, um, and so and we've had terrific uptake and and some fantastic customers. Um, for you know, obviously, we're a company of software developers. I have a background as a software developer, and yet I'm the CEO of the company. My business partner is you know Microsoft Regional Director. He's got software development in his blood. We we get the space, and so we we built this sort of initially because we realised we needed something like it. Um, and with a mixture of knowing the domain and the, the great feedback from our customers, we've managed to, I think, build out something quite nice. I, I, quite, I quite frequently joke, though, that I honestly thought we would have finished writing bug tracking by now. Um, <laughs> but uh, the, the, the roadmap just keeps getting bigger and bigger and longer yeah. and longer. So, yeah. Right, uh, like going to like in the nitty gritty into the, you know, implementation of this, you know, what, what do you get free out of the box just by including, you know, the references and stuff like on an MVC app or maybe a, a new mobile app, you know, do, do you get stuff out of the box or, or does it take a little bit of configuration for this? Uh, no, you get, you get quite a lot of value straight out of the box. The default setup is going to be that we send you all of the unhandled exceptions. Um, in iOS land, you can even, with a minor change, also send handled exceptions, but I don't know why you'd want to do that, but that's the, <laughs> the joy of Objective-C. Um, but we will collect as much information about the environment as we possibly can. So you might, for example, have a particular issue and we can sort of identify that it's only occurring on one of your servers, or maybe it's a mobile error, but it you can actually see, well, it only happens when the available memory is zero. You know, the starts you start to be able to piece together a story. So that comes out of the box. Um, in terms of what you can add more to that, we have uh, three key features. One is um, tags. So that's a key value pair. So you mm -hmm. can put that on yourself. Uh, the great thing about that is you can filter by that on the dashboard within Raygun. Then there's custom data. You can't filter on custom data, but the reason for that is that it actually takes full object graphs. So as you can kind of imagine, trying to filter on complex objects is, is not 
not an easy thing to do, so we say use tags for that. But you can start attaching your own JSON blobs in there if you've got all sorts of other data. We see people doing things like, hey, you know, throw in the last 10 log file items when I send off an error so I might have some more data about it. And then lastly, and this is one of the features we're, we're doing a lot of work on at the moment, is affected user tracking. So this allows you to attach data about the currently authenticated user. Um, and you don't have to give us an email address and name if you want. It could be a primary key for your own database if you wanted to uh, sort of maintain you know, full um, privacy there. Not that we would ever look at it, but you know, if you didn't want to send it outside of your own firewall. Mm -hmm. But if you do give us an email address and name, we can actually um, we, we give you a report of all of the issues that have affected those particular users, or you can look at a given user. So suddenly the people on the help desk, for example, uh, can get a phone call and actually they could use Raygun and go, oh, I can see what happened here. You know, I can see that error and I'm going to send it off to Jim and engineering to look into. But where we've taken that a little bit further, and this is just about to be uh, released, is um, when you resolve an issue in Raygun, I'm going to have the ability to uh, let you notify those users if you've identified them. So we're all used to the really crummy uh, Apple and Microsoft experience of, you know, hey, your computer just blew up. Do you want to send it to Microsoft? And you're like, no, I don't want to waste more of my time. But you never expect anything it's, back. It's like that, that pile of tubes on, on Lost, you know, where they keep putting the, <laughs> the thing in like those bank tubes and there's that pile that just piles up. Yeah. And like so that's where well, everybody assumes it goes. Yep, absolutely. So this is the thing is we what we found was that if you contact users about fixing something that went wrong, you turn an at-risk user into a massive advocate. Oh, like, yeah. can, you, can you imagine if something blew up in your computer, maybe Office or something, mm -hmm. and you did send the report, and then two days later you got an email from Microsoft saying, hey, sorry about that. We fixed that in the next hotfix that comes <laughs> out in, you know, three Tuesdays from now, yeah. and here's $5 uh, Windows Store credit. Sorry about the problem. Um yeah, you know, you're going to be that like, would be, oh, that would be, oh, yeah, that'd be absolutely insane. And, and yeah, you would feel a connection. I mean, it's like buying somebody a Coke, right? Like they, they yep. just, um, uh, I don't know. You just, just inherently you, you feel connected to them somehow. Absolutely. And this is the thing is that I think that especially as, you know, developer talking to developers here, you know, um, we find it very easy to fall back into just thinking about our engagement with the code that we're writing and not the fact that we're writing code for people, mm -hmm. you know, if just because, you know, we're busy, we have to focus on something. But at the end of the day, software is always about serving people. And unfortunately, the software quality is pretty bad because it's it's a very complex domain that's moving very quickly. So the least we can do is try to add some of these hooks later on to rehumanize the process and make people feel like, Hey, you know, we are trying to build the best product we can for you. Okay. Uh, so one question I had too was around like distributed applications. So I find myself now writing applications that span, uh, you know, client and server. I mean, that's gotta be pretty common, but then it's not just a single server, you know, you're hitting against a web server, but that web server could be hitting against a, a backend API server and then it could also be going to, you know, different uh, worker roles on, on the back end that are doing work. There's items going through queues. I mean, big enterprise distributed applications, uh, you know, especially in like a cloud environment. So does Raygun, how does it work in those scenarios? I mean, do you end up having each piece of that just sending in information if something goes wrong? And is there a way to correlate that? Yeah, so ideally you would have each piece there sending in data if it goes wrong. And what I've seen is two different approaches. Mm -hmm. 
One is if you're a if you're a relatively smaller small team building a distributed app, you might actually send all of the reports into a single application in Raygun. So I get asked this a lot: what is an application? Because people are concerned about licensing, and it's actually a completely logical uh, boundary. It's whatever you want it to be. You might think of your entire distributed app as a single entity. Mm-hmm. given your team size, or you might have an owner of that web service and an owner of some other piece of it, and you'll have them as separate apps. We don't we don't really um, discriminate. It's up to you. However, in the bigger teams where they are reporting them as separate apps, this is where that custom tagging or uh, custom um, data comes in really useful, in particular the tagging, because you can start just putting in a correlation ID. So quite frequently, you'll have something like a message ID that's actually traveling throughout. And it's one of those things that I've always really, really, really wanted to uh, have a, a standard automatic way that we could pick something up you know, and just have it work out of the box, going back to your earlier question, Carl. Um, but the way distributed apps are built, there's no sort of consistency to that. You have to manually put that on there. Um, right. But yeah, that way you can you could jump in and actually filter across that. We also have recently released what we call the global dashboard. So if you did have multiple pieces, you can sort of go, hey, look, I want a dashboard of these five apps and I want to see the overall crash rates across them and I want to see, you know, all of that almost an aggregate there um, so that even if you wanted to work piecemeal, each service being reported individually, you still could get a global view of that all at once. So that's been working out really well for people with distributed apps. Okay. Yeah, I always I always end up putting a lot of... Um uh, logging in. And I, so I guess I have two questions around that. You know, do you, it sounds like you, you store, you could just correct me if I'm wrong here. You store the, uh, the details sort of leading up to the exception. I mean, does that include custom data? And and one of the questions I had was, you know, like glimpse, the, the plugin does it, that does a really good job of, of being able to hook in things like, you know, how long did my database take and, uh, or what, what, what triggered this in the database that, that caused an exception at this higher level, you know, so do you, do you hook into any, any of those other types of plugins or is there a different way that you sort of collect all that information that I have whenever I'm writing my code? Yeah, so we collect all the information ourselves. We don't we don't hook in or take a dependency on any of the other plugins that are available. That's not to say that those plugins aren't awesome. Uh, we use things like Glimpse ourselves uh, alongside Raygun. Um, but yeah, we, we just, we, we wanted to make the individual providers as, as sort of, self-encapsulated as possible you know yeah uh, it, it's an odd one again you know building tools for developers is uh you, you can cause yourself quite a lot of problems if you take dependencies uh people get very opinionated on what gets automatically included oh, yeah. in their in their in their uh software so for that reason we've typically steered away from taking dependencies on on other integrations yeah um speaking of you know all the different you know ways that you can use it from, you know, different languages and frameworks and platforms. Are there any restrictions? You know, does one version of Raygun or one implementation have any additional or less features of another? Uh, that's a that's a great question. Um, some some of the providers will typically get slightly out of date by maybe a you know a couple of weeks on some of the others. So for example, um, the .NET provider is kind of our our primary provider that we work on. And that's because Raygun itself, we use we use a, a lot of .NET, a little bit of Go, and some Node.js. We dog food all of our own software, and therefore the, the .NET provider will typically get the features 
um, sooner than than others. Um, but you again, you're talking maybe a week or two before they've they've been pushed out to all of the others uh, that are out there. Um, so no, we we try to maintain parity uh, as much as we can, and and if that ever slips, people de- definitely let us know that they want the new features uh, automatic, you know, as soon as they can. Mm-hmm. So you guys, you guys support uh, no less than 1.2 million different languages. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was kind of curious what uh, what does the backend of Raygun itself look like? What like what did you guys write it in? What does that architecture look like? I mean, you yeah, mentioned sure. it was in AWS. Yeah, so we're on AWS, and like I say, that's that's not a um, a thumbs up for AWS or a thumbs down for um, Azure. It's just a case that we were hosting our our previous stuff on on uh, Amazon years and years ago, and so we've been growing up on there uh, in a way. Um, but we we use uh, C Sharp ASP.NET MVC for the main app. We okay. use uh, we use. ASP.NET for the public-facing website as well. Uh, that's running a great open-source uh, project called Into. It's a CMS uh, that's out there, so we use that for the public site. We do actually have, now that I think about it, um, we do use WordPress for the blog. Um, that's been kind of handy. That sits behind a, um, a sort of, uh, we use a proxy to be able to sort of transparently uh, handle that off the off the site onto a Linux box. Mm-hmm. The back-end worker processes, so this is where all the heavy lifting goes on, like I said, with that exception grouping, email notifications, pushing things into your um, team chat, all of that stuff. They're all uh, written in .NET as well, uh, just C-sharp services. The API runs Node.js, so I think uh, we've got quite a few um, API boxes that are sitting behind the, the API endpoint. And then we use uh, Go for the um, symbolification of iOS crash reports. So uh, you may or may not be aware that um, given that Objective-C is not a managed language at all, um, when, you get an, when you get a stack trace out of that, it, uh, it sort of is pretty unfriendly to humans. <laughs> so we, we have a little tool that actually when, when you're, a, when you're an, an iOS developer, you put it on your machine and it'll automatically work out when you perform the archive operations inside of Xcode and upload the symbol files for you uh, in the background. And then that allows us to sort of bring your um, hex address laden stack trace with the human read symbols together and give you a nice stack trace inside of Reagan for iOS crash reports. So um, yeah, that, that's kind of the stack um, behind the scenes, and it's been working really well. We um, think we peaked at one point at uh, 110,000 crash reports per second flowing into the system, uh, and and it all sort of kept kept humming away, which was good. Uh, that's not our normal load. Just to be clear, that was a very large, very large customer doing a very bad deploy. Um, so, yeah, which but, actually makes me think. You know what what happens when when Reagan itself starts having errors? Do you do they can they feed back into the system and cause a feedback loop, or do you guys you know not feed them back in, or do you try to identify that? So we have uh, two two layers in there. Um, certain bits can certainly just uh, provide errors into Raygun happily. For example, yeah. the the web app, you know, it's not yeah, processing right. anything. The API nodes, however, do not send themselves error reports. Right, uh, that, that's the that's the killer bit. And for that, what we we've, we've actually done is we've we've got a sort of separate thing that we've just built in house that effectively goes to um, our own reporting system. So. 
we have a we've built our own mobile app that actually gives all of our tech team who are managing the the ops sort of stuff full insight into the whole stack and what's going on and access to the logs and they can do all sorts of uh, cool stuff like you know drill into individual app queues and what's going on uh, from that so there is that secondary system for for things that uh, we don't want to have rely on raygun being up having said that we've only had uh, I think we had one outage in 2013 I think it was um, okay, of bad. of the API, so yeah, we've we've had. I mean, we we've we've basically never really lost any data. Um, it's been a, a very reliable. Well, knock on wood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful what you yeah, say. Yeah. So it's been it's been useful, but yeah, it's a pretty battle hardened service now. A couple of years in, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. So what about application size? You know, thinking of you know just kind of I, I have an app in the store that only has you know uh, just couple dozen downloads uh, just kind of really I built the app for myself and then there's other applications out there obviously that are huge are you are you targeting any specific app sizes or is this for any app small to big well Raygun works well in in any sized app however we have um, sort of you know we, we need to eat so we obviously target companies that are, are you know going to be able to afford software and be able to get value out of it at scale um, we do have things uh, like effectively I suggest to people to get in touch if they're using it for a hobby or maybe they're still at university or they're an open source developer, you know, they, they're welcome to get in touch and we can give out free accounts for that. But on the whole, we're targeting, um, you know, professional software developers building things at work, um, you know, so that that's what we're going for. But there's no actual physical limits on on application size at all. Your company makes other developer tools too. Um, are there any of those that you want to mention or talk about? Um, well, yeah, we we built a, a range of other tools. We've had a lot of success with um, with with most of them. Um, so we built you know an object relational mapper called Lightspeed. We we built Web Workbench, which was the the first app to sort of bring SAS, CoffeeScript, and Less into Visual Studio, um, which got a lot of kudos from Microsoft, and then. Microsoft built their own version called Web Essentials, um, but uh, yeah, I mean they, they've they've been um, they've been very successful for us. But Raygun really has uh, just absolutely taken off for, for us as a company. Uh, so we we still sell and maintain those other products because we actually use them in the in the building of Raygun. So Lightspeed has you know very efficient data access, and so. You know, obviously that was where we went when we needed to access uh, data and, and Raygun. So we've been uh, finding a lot of learnings and folding them back in there. They're all very mature products as well. They're all sort of version five or six uh, level products. But yeah, it's um, uh, they they still do do very well for the company. Cool. Yeah, I see, I see some cool stuff out there. Um, let's see here. Any upcoming features uh, within Raygun that you care to mention? Yeah. So we are. Um, I mentioned that we're about to sort of uh, improve the affected user tracking to do that contacting of users. Um, we also are probably only a couple of weeks now away from uh, releasing full deployment tracking. So this is where, for example, you push a new release to your web server or to your mobile app, and uh, we, we'll show that on the graph, and you can start seeing trends like, you know, was this a particularly buggy release? Did we see new errors occur in this release? Okay. And, you know, we can then take you into the diffs and things like that. This is where the integration with things like 
uh, GitHub and Bitbucket, etc., really come into shine because we can show you all of the commits that occurred in that particular deployment and help you write within Raygun understand what was going on and what went wrong in there or or what went well, you know, so we can say, yeah. hey, you know what, this this error stopped occurring after this point in time um, when you did this release. This, That's you know, cool. Does that work with like A-B testing then for like a slow rollout? Like if you if you put out a new version of 5% of your user base, um, yep. do, are you looking at um, being able to sort of compare how reliable those are? To be honest with you, I mm-hmm. hadn't thought about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like, yeah, so you basically you roll it out to you know one percent initially, and then you bump it up to let's say five percent, and then yep. you uh, you compare the two and you say, hey, was this more or less reliable than the previous version? Well, that that's a absolutely fantastic idea, Jason, um, because okay. what we do have is version tracking. So yeah. when when errors come in, we can see the version. So if we actually have two there, we could we could pretty much build a, a report quite easily that because uh, we have the data to yeah. say that this is how they're performing relative to each other. So, uh, yeah, well, the team was just complaining they don't have enough work to do already. So. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty good yeah. at that. In fact, once if, if I've used any applications that were instrumented with Raygun, I'm sure a couple of those exceptions came from me. I'm, I'm pretty good at breaking things. Well, I, I think... Uh, <laughs> Carl's, Carl's nodding his head. Yeah, we... Um, I would be surprised if a lot of people don't don't use a service that's got Raygun in it, you know, at least every day. Uh, yeah, we do sure. we do process billions and billions of error reports now and uh yeah, it's um it's getting pretty pretty popular, which is really cool. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about it. Cool. Any final notes before we move on? Uh from me, no. I just really appreciate the opportunity to come on and, and chat to you about Raygun and uh, you know, I hope that the people that go and give it a give it a try um, also send send through their feedback on how they find it. Yeah, no, this is this is useful. I mean, any kind of insight you can get on this, I've always been a huge uh, fan of this. I especially now with like distributed applications, I'm really struggling with how do I how do I get this type of information in a in a central location? And I actually built um, and this is you know like fifty orders of magnitude less powerful than what you've built, but I have a site called Log for Stuff. And the whole purpose there is just, it's just focused on dev test and getting messages in real time uh, so that you can see what's going on in your application. Uh, But it's, it's nowhere, you know, it's not, it's definitely not meant for production or anything like that. Um, So that's, this is, this is great because I don't, I don't have a lot of good production tools for, for getting these insights. And this looks really nice and really polished. Well, I think when you look at the entire market, um, you know, and you do look at things like New Relic and Application Insights Mm -hmm. and Raygun, it's, there's there's a growing expectation that you know professional developers need to use these types of tools, um, so you know it, it's understandable that you know adoption is rising. And I think in another sort of five years, you you would sort of start to raise your eyebrow a little bit if somebody said, "Yeah, well, I pushed to production, and then I don't pay any attention to anything after that." You know, yeah, um, that's it's not how to build stuff well. Yeah, exactly. And I think on top of it too, in, in order for a, a company that needs a tool like this to re-implement even a tiny portion of its features, it takes a great amount of dev time to do that. And you know, looking at the pricing, it it's well worth the company's time to invest in a product like this. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not. Yeah, everybody listening to this and you guys and we can all relate. You know, as software developers, we like to think you know we can build anything in a weekend with enough pizza and coke. Um, and we definitely run into that on occasion where somebody says, I can build this, you know, and it's like, yeah, good luck. I mean, we've, we've 
had a yeah. team of seven engineers for two years going on this. And, and we actually, uh, you know, if you look on Twitter, there was a guy the other day who tweeted that and he's like, you know, it was a huge mistake to think I could try and clone this. Uh, you know, and it's <laughs> yeah, like, totally. it's just, it's not worth your time for, for 30 bucks or 50 bucks. You know, it's like, just, just use a, use the tool. So. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Focus on what drives business value for your applications. For Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on uh, to the Azure pick of the week. So this is actually not an Azure feature. It was actually a, a blog post about Azure. And actually, I didn't even, the funniest thing about this post, so the, the title is Azure Media Services to Help Stream the Big Game. And you read through this article and you got to read the first comment. The first comment is LOL at not being able to say NFL or Super Bowl in this post. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, I thought that was an interesting comment. So then after you read that first comment, then go back and reread this article. Uh, but anyway, some interesting stats that were tweeted out. There was um, at one point there were 1.3 million, uh, million concurrent users during the Super Bowl watching the uh, the big game and uh, 2.5 million unique views. Um, in total. So this was using the, the Azure uh, media services. And then I think you talked in here too, I was talking about the, the Olympic winter games, uh, which was, uh, they streamed over a hundred, there was over a hundred million viewers on that. Um, it's just insane scale. So, um, Azure media services is like the, the coolest service that, that I don't use today because <laughs> I don't, I don't really do anything with streaming video, but it's just amazing that you could sort of build like a, even like a TV station around this with the, the amount of power that it has. So uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And then Carl, what is our app of the week? It's an app for Windows Phone called Realarm. And this kind of takes your the Alarms app that is built into Windows Phone and just puts it on steroids with an awesome UI as well. Uh, so obviously you can make alarms. There's a really nice and more powerful kind of recurrence. So if you need to schedule something for like, the third Thursdays in the month on odd months or something like that. You, you can find a way to do that with this app, which would be impossible on the other one. Um, there's voice commands, reminders. You can back up whatever you've set wow. to OneDrive. Um, you, this looks amazing. You can, you can have alternating alarms. So instead of just having one alarm all the time or creating a new alarm, just to have a different, you know, an alarm sound. Um, I mean, it just goes on and on. Um, and you could tell with the screenshots and their, their text that th this group of people or person has a great sense of humor. They, they've invested a lot of time in this. Um, you know, alarms is one thing I rely heavily on my phone for. Um, so I was really excited to find this out. This seems to be like hands down one of the best alarm. It apps. looks, it looks amazing. I mean, you can tell just by looking at it. That's awesome. So does this, does this missing any features you think that the regular alarm app is? Cause I always, I always wonder if like the built-in alarm app, if there's anything special about what it's hooked into, uh, you know, well, unless there's something um, really hooked in on the inside, I, I can't imagine it. Okay. I mean, this does this at least cool. whatever the, the built-in one does. Yeah. This looks super, super awesome. Uh, so the only feature that my, my alarm app doesn't do that I really want, and you'll have to tell me if it, if this does this, does it, um, can I skip like two occurrences? Yeah. You can say skip next. It, that's okay. one of the things that's that they, awesome. they, they just have that in the, if you expand the details on the, sh on the notes. Right. Yep. I see that. So oh, I don't know about cool. two, but yeah. Cause what ends up happening is I go somewhere and I want to turn off my alarm, right? So I end up turning it off. And then, and then forget when I to get turn home, it on. Yeah, I forget to turn it back on. So it's like, just skip the next, you know, for the rest of this week, I want to just skip the alarm or, or change it. That's very cool. Yeah, and you can do that with your voice as well. So yeah. it's just awesome. Oh, and this is free? 
<laughs> I'm like, how much is this? Four ninety nine. It's free. Can you even can you even pay for this? It looks like it's just free. You can't wow, even amazing. pay him. Wow. We have to have this guy on Victor. Yes. I'm not going to try to pronounce his last name. <laughs> his first name is Victor, though. This looks like an awesome app. OK. Oh, so, John, Daniel, we have a game that we play that you're probably not familiar with. Are you familiar with this game we play? No. <laughs> OK, so it's easy. Do I first need thing, a bottle of tequila? <laughs> <laughs> that would help. Uh, so <laughs> first, you got to pick a number between one and four. Three. Three. OK, so then all you got to do is answer this question. Would you rather have to would you rather have to wear shoes four sizes too big or have to wear pants four sizes too big with no belt? I, uh, shoes. I would definitely <laughs> shoes, go yeah. for the shoes. I'm thinking so too. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'd be comfortable with the pants, but, you know, other people wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> good call. Good call. Okay, Carl, what do you want? I'll take one. Number one, after finishing a meal, would you rather learn that your pork was actually hamster meat or... <laughs> This one's pretty bad. Or that the red beans in your chili were actually beetles. Um, I would probably say the first one, the hamster meat, but ultimately I, I don't really have too many food hangups. I'd try just about anything. Yeah, this one I'm actually thinking I'm sort of leaning yeah, toward can, the second one. Can I try both? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take a hamster with a side of beetles. <laughs> oh well, Carl, you never surprise me. Are you, I mean, you never cease to surprise me. Uh, it sounds like you'd be disappointed if they were red beans. <laughs> yeah. Man, I thought I thought those were beetles. Okay, so uh, Jen, Daniel, where, where can people find you online? Well, for, for the Raygun products that we talked about, you can visit raygun.io, okay. uh, and that's the website. I'm uh, disappointed that when I search for Raygun, <laughs> that your site doesn't come up. I get uh, sites where you can apparently buy ray guns. <laughs> oh, so, right. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, ray, I search for ray gun IO and it comes up. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so there's that. Uh, me personally, um, I'm on Twitter as TraskJD, T-R-A-S-K-J-D. Uh, and I also have a personal blog, which like most bloggers, I'm I'm woeful at posting on at JDTrask.com. Perfect. And what about you, Carl? Uh, you can find me at WPDevGuy.com or on Twitter at Carl Schweitzer. Okay, and you can find me at ytechie.com or at twitter.com slash ytechie. And I actually have a new blog post out there. I've been I've been trying to get stuff out there. So my latest post is called uh, Sending Real-Time Sensor Data to Clients Using SignalR. Um, so this talks about, uh, specifically talking about manufacturing type data, again, streaming data, or uh, I guess what you'd normally call like near real-time data. So just showing how easy it is to set up SignalR um, in ASP.NET MVC. And then having a uh, um, HTML JavaScript page with uh, minimal JavaScript and being able to receive that data, subscribe, and then receive that data on the client. So if you are interested in doing that, I have that blog post out there uh, right now. So go check it out. And uh, John Daniel, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, This was really good. It was awesome learning about Raygun. Hey, thanks very much for having me, guys. Be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 